Hello, friend! Welcome back to the Bookshop Chronicles. My name is Brandy, and I run an indie bookstore in Edmonton, Alberta, called Daisy Chain Book Company. I am so glad that you are here. This podcast is all about books and the people who love them, and the business side of running an indie bookstore during a pandemic, of all things. Today, our focus is going to be entirely on young readers. Now, young readers can be any age, right? I don't believe in putting restrictions on what kids should or should not read at any stage of their reading experience. In our store, we don't have any ages on the shelves in our kids section. We have categories for where they may have independent reading or shared reading, but no ages because we just do not want kids to feel limited at all with where they should or shouldn't read. Let them decide. The world of reading is so huge. Why limit them to one shelf that has their age on it? I do not get that. And because it's my bookstore, I can do what I like. And I have changed the categories of the shelves on purpose. When I point this out, especially to teachers, they love it because they are also very aware that not everybody's age matches up with their reading level. So limiting kids, not really my jam. So today we are going to talk to two teachers who have a passion project about getting kids to read and inspiring the adults in their lives to invest in their reading as well. Because you know what? Young readers are world changers. You have heard me say this before. And after this conversation, I have some very exciting news about what world changers might look like in our store. So no worry about that. We will get to that later. But for right now, I am very excited to introduce you to Tara Foxcroft and Susie Peacock of Bluefish Learning here in Edmonton, who are full of passion and inspiration for getting kids to read more. Here's our conversation. In the introduction that I um, did earlier, I did mention your names and just briefly about what you guys are up to. But can you tell our listeners what Bluefish Learning is and a little bit about each of you? Okay, I'll go first. Uh, it's Tara, and Bluefish Learning is an organization slash, I guess, company that we started um, back in November of 2020. Um, I'm a literacy teacher. I've done specifically literacy intervention for the past six years or so and taught elementary school for 30 years-ish. <laughs> and uh, Susie, my my partner and um, friend, is a, a retired teacher. So the two of us are very passionate about literacy. And I had this little idea about getting ideas and inspiration inside of a book to hook a reader in and get them into that book. And I sort of presented it to her with a little bit of a trick last summer. I gave a book to her son for his birthday that had a little uh, prototype test of this idea and hoped she would be interested. And she was. And so we just decided to get together and start developing our idea of how to inspire readers and bring awareness around reading every single day um, for kids, because I've seen so many kids in my work who just don't have that around them. They don't have uh, excessive uh, access to text. They don't have someone reading to them. Um, so we thought maybe we can get in the books and deliver ourselves to their door inside a book. Yeah, that's so great. Just a little bit of background uh, uh, for me. This is Susie. And uh, like Tara said, I was a high school English teacher for 
32 years, recently retired, and I just love reading. I, I love books. Um, I obviously would engage my students for so many years. And, and Tara's a bit of a, a Tom Sawyer with this whole bluefish learning because she was like the one whitewashing the fence and working really hard. And all of a sudden she made it really, really sound engaging. And suddenly I'm on board and my daughter's on board and we're all together on this great, this journey trying to get kids reading more. We, we feel like it's becoming a bit of a dying art. There's so much competition out there with video games and social media and uh, access to movies. So getting kids reading because it's just so much fun and it, it builds curiosity in them. It, uh, it broadens their horizons and we just really believe that we can help get kids engaged. I love it. And I think the two of you combined have so much experience and history with kids and classrooms. And I can't even imagine what changes you all have seen over the past what, 30 years, right? In education, that's that's significant and how reading habits have changed and even what is available for different kids to read has changed so significantly. Um, so can you, would you mind telling me a little bit about where the name Bluefish Learning comes from? <laughs> uh, so I'll go on that one because <clears throat> in my literacy classroom, um, when I first started doing little group um, sessions, um, I instantly realized that the dynamic was so different than a big classroom with 30 kids. And I had to find a way to engage the kids for them to want to come and be excited. And I, I don't know why I just decided getting a beta fish was a good idea and allowing each child to feed the fish one little piece of food at the end of our reading session might get them excited. And it was beyond my expectations in terms of how excited they were about this fish. And of course, I called him Bluefish after the Dr. Seuss poem. And I had the little bit of the poem printed out on a in a little frame right beside his tank. And they loved Bluefish so much because Bluefish just listened to them read every single day. And he would, so I sat him right behind me and I had my little U table in front of me and the four little students would show up and they would, you know, say hi to Blue and he's right there and they would read. And at the end, they'd get to all come around to the back and give him a little piece of food. And so this was our routine for like five or six years. And it was actually the sweetest. And then Bluefish the first passed away and we had to get Bluefish the second, who is still alive to this day. When I get really, really busy, Bluefish's water goes down really low. And I phone Susie and I say, Bluefish is in trouble. We need to, we need to refuel. And uh, so, yeah, that's where the name came from. It was my husband's idea to name the company after a book title or a person or something that meant a lot to me and not mm -hmm. to make it um, too serious and just to, you know, Think of something fun and so initially it was Anne of Green Gables I was going to call it Green Gable learning um, because mm. that was my favorite book but in the end blue just made sense and so I spent all last summer just coming up with the idea of the idea of the name like it's so amazing how much that now means to me and and that was a big process but yeah bluefish was named after the fish awesome and, and I love it because you're right. If you did Green Gables, whereas that might resonate with some, bluefish can be whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah. that's very innovative. I love it. Yeah. And we have found many puns come our way throughout the work we do. So we're making a book of puns right now. About <laughs> There's some days that things are going well. And you can imagine the puns that come out of fishing and fish and working and, you know, just keep swimming. That's what we keep saying to ourselves. <laughs> <Just keep laughs> I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. I know, I know. And so, and you both specialize in... Um, providing reading material and helping kids find a love for reading and really develop that ongoing routine and the habit, as you said earlier, right, of reading more. And um, how do you do that? How do you get kids to just grab hold of a book or a story and then just go with it? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll go first, but then I'll pass it over to Suze. That is the big question, Brandy. That is the big question that keeps me up at night. Like I literally never stop thinking about it. And um, in my classroom, how I do it is I, I try to bring those books alive, try to talk with the children every single day about their own experiences compared with what's happening in the book, you know, making connections. I ask them to visualize. I do all the things every teacher does in terms of engaging a child in a book. But if they don't go home and read every day, having a reader grow out of that is much more difficult. And so my mm. hope is how we do that is by getting families on board with the idea of creating a space, creating a routine and creating a love for reading within their homes. And so that's how I've sort of moved away from, I, I still am teaching in the classroom because they ask me and I can't say no. <laughs> I actually tried to take <laughs> a leave. I went on leave this year so I could focus on bluefish and they were they called and said, we need a literacy teacher five mornings a week. And I was like, how can I say no? I can be in front of them and helping them in school and I will do that. But I think how we do it is we teach the parents and the, and the, the children about the importance of getting lost in a book and the joy that they can find through it. But they have to be free to read what they love. They have to have, uh, Pernille Rip talks about reader's rights, the right to read what you love, the right to read where you want, how you want, if it's audiobook or visual text or ebook. And so we're just trying to open up the um, awareness of that, the education for families, that it doesn't have to look like sitting in a chair with the book in front of them, seriously reading and writing it down in the reading log. That doesn't need to be what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So that's how I hope we can do it. And I'll pass it to Suze to say what her thoughts are. Yeah, you know, I think for me, one of the biggest things is if we can encourage families to make reading just part of the the daily routine like you get up you have breakfast you ride your bike well you read as well and it's not something that you can tell kids to do but if you provide that environment uh, I know I grew up in a home that was books were everywhere and everyone was reading in my house and I think you just kind of learn by osmosis that that's what you do and then once you start reading I think you do hook the kids because you start you know, as a child disappearing into these wonderful worlds and that you gain this vicarious experience. Like I remember as a kid reading the the whole series of Freddy the Pig. And I started thinking that maybe I invented Freddy the Pig because no one else I knew in the world had read Freddy the Pig. And I still remember one day in the staff room, I was waxing poetic about this great story. And, you know, my friends, my colleagues were looking at me kind of oddly. And then in the depths of the staff room, 
the science teacher said, and Mrs. Wiggins, the cow, and Jinx, the cat. And I was like, oh, someone else has read Freddie the pig. But, you know, I remember just, you know, it was sort of an obscure uh, collection of stories. But I remember once I was engaged in those, I just wanted to read each and every one. So I think, like Tara said, you provide an environment that is sort of conducive to reading, that it, that, it, that it's just that that part of your day that everyone gets involved in. I know as a teacher, like I was teaching the older kids, so uh, quite a few of them read as younger kids, but by the time they hit high school, there was just so much going on. There was boyfriends and girlfriends and sports and jobs and all this. So I kind of instilled in my classes where they had to, or they were hopefully would select two books during the course of the semester that they would read totally on their own. So that was uh, aside from the novel that we do in class or the Shakespeare or whatever. And I would set up book talks with the kids. So they would come in after school or at noon hour or before school, and we would chat about the book for 15 or 20 minutes. It turned out to be one of the greatest things about my teaching career because kids were reading but I also had that 15 minutes to talk to them about the book. And it, it, it developed a relationship that I had with students that I don't think I normally have in a class of 30, mm -hmm. 35, mm -hmm. but now we're one-on-one -on -one and they would get excited about talking about the book. And you could kind of tell that they were proud of the fact that they had read these books. And, and I think little things like that just build on the reading experience. We're trying to reach kids as well that just need that little bit of a, a hook, a little bit mm -hmm. to get them going. I love that, Suze, because the book talk is really what started my whole, my seed of my idea. And exactly what you said, when I started doing book talks with my grade six class, and that, you know, I don't know how many years ago, that, that was their favorite thing, just to have 10 minutes with the teacher alone and talk about a book. Even today, my literacy students who are struggling readers their favorite thing is coming to the what I call the hot seat, where they have to read one-on-one -on -one with me. And I I'm, I ask them a lot of questions, and it gets a little hot. And it's their favorite part, because they get to connect with and you about the book and feel that sense of belonging with in the reading process. But there are so many kids whose, whose parents, unfortunately, are not reading to them at home, um, people who are not being talked to about books. And so putting the book talk into the book was sort of our whole idea. I initially wanted to fill a bus with books and take it around the city and do book talks for free and give the books away. And my husband was like, who's paying for this? <laughs> How is this going to happen? Uh, which is why I saw Brandy's uh, book, you know, the book truck turned into the bookstore was so appealing to me because that was a part of the dream is just to take these book talks like Susie and, and I had done in classrooms and deliver them to the doorsteps of students and children who maybe wouldn't otherwise have that, right? Honestly, and I think I think you're right, definitely, in terms of developing that habit for them. And if the parents are not the ones helping to reinforce what you were exciting them about in the classroom, then it does get lost at home. And it's very hard to pick up something only in school and then not do it at home and then make that part of who you are as a reader in your life. Because you, you, then it's location sensitive and it's not about the book. It's just about the classroom. 
So mm-hmm. I think that is such a, a powerful, um, I don't know, I think it's like an expectation or an ask for parents. Mm-hmm. It's not a huge thing, but I think a lot of parents too that I talk to, they would actually like more time for themselves to read, which mm-hmm. is ironic. Because if they did read, their kids might also be seeing it and then reading more. And there could be that ripple effect. Oh, so, so, so true. I, yeah. Well, and I I mean, a lot of it, I believe, Brandy, it comes from the level of confidence um, if every reader is, is living with. Um, you know, as a parent, am I confident in my delivery of the book to my child? Maybe I don't feel confident reading out loud. And so I'm not going to read out loud with expression and intonation and changing my rate and, you know, stressing the right part of the sentence. Those are all skills mm-hmm. that we practice at school. Parents might not feel that way. And so they maybe don't. And and the child might not feel confident enough to take that and drive that themselves. And so where it just sort of dies, you're right at home a little bit and it doesn't continue on. So if we can put it in a little video and present it to the child when they open the book, they know it's waiting for them. And they listen to Anna, Susie's daughter, our little guide inside, talk about the book and ask some questions and, you know, some ideas and like, oh, yeah, that that sounds really good. Maybe I'll read the book and I'll think that way or maybe I'll think a different way. But at least I'm thinking about what I'm reading and I'm engaged. And that's sort of mm-hmm. what we hope we could maybe provide. I mean, book clubs like what you run at the store and and potentially what we hope to do one day as an online book club can also be engaging but only certain kids will sign up for that right we're not we're not going to reach them all yeah oh man if my teacher had said we're going to have like a little book club where you can talk about the books you're reading I would have been there in a hot minute I know and and so many of the kids really really loved it and of course the reluctant readers were like we have to read did you say two extra books (laughs) um but they knew also that that it was sort of a win-win situation because it was the easiest assignment they'd ever get. All they had to do was read the book. And if you read the book, you got a hundred percent. Like, and you know, some kids are really attracted to a, ooh, a few bonus marks here. So, you know, all it took was, uh, and the kids will go off. How will you know if we've read the book? And I said, well, you'd be amazed that when you start talking about a book, I can tell pretty quickly if you've read it or not. Oh, yeah. But like I said, that it's so true. (laughs) Even if I hadn't read it and then I could just quiz them about, you know, what was happening and this and that. But they they love taking the ownership. And and quite often, if I hadn't read the book, they loved the fact that now they were telling me about it. And I was like, oh, that sounds really good. I want to I'm going to add that to my TBR. Mm -hmm list you know and Hmm. um but it was it was great i mean over the course of the semester i would probably have somewhere like over a hundred students so that's an awful lot of book talks for me (laughs) but no kidding the the rewards were great because it was almost more than the reading was that connection with kids and once you have a connection with kids they trust you so much more and Mm -hmm away with things in class that they might be reluctant to do but you've developed that relationship with them I mean just talking Mm -hmm. about it I I really miss teaching actually I miss that that connection and I think that's why I'm glad Tara brought me on board because it's given me such a, a focus again of 
And I haven't read young children's literature actually for quite a long time. I mean, both my children are, are adults now, so I don't read the young children lit children's literature. And there's so much good literature out there. As an adult, I'm loving the book. So imagine oh, yes. what the kids are experiencing. That's what I said to Tara. Oh, this is a winner. This is a good one. We got to go yeah. with this one. And I get so excited about it. So yeah. Finding the books is the most fun. It's so fun. There's so much good stuff out there. Well, that's the that's the positive thing. And I think that so many young readers and parents too, often who are in the store looking for books, they tend to get overwhelmed with the idea that, oh, we need a, a dog man book or we need a diary of a wimpy kid or we need whatever the popular titles are. And they limit themselves to those kinds of experiences and I'm like oh man there are shelves and shelves oh, yeah. of books you haven't even thought of yet yeah. right like it's just so exciting to see their face light up as grown-ups when they think they're going to give this book to a child and who's going to possibly love it it's awesome it reminds them of what it was like when they read when they were younger and honestly Brandy me going into a bookstore I'm overwhelmed because you see the ones that sort of are the, the popular picks. And I think, well, what should I buy my nephews for Christmas? And it's hard to decide. There are so many choices. And so that's what our mm -hmm. goal is with our picks is to help parents find a good bet. It's not necessarily for everyone. I mean, each person has their own interests, but these books are good bets. What's really cool is that the parents can read them as well. And what great opportunity for you know, child and parent to start talking about the books and, and expanding and the, you know, just that building relationship again. And I love it when the, the, the writer doesn't talk down or water down stories for kids, they can handle a mm -hmm. lot and they want a lot. They're, they're smart and they're curious and they want to know. And these are just really good opportunities for them. Well, when you think about as a grown-up, when you look back on your reading life as a child, it's not the popular kind of candy fluff books that you remember as much as the ones who left a big impact on you. And usually those are stories of kids who have gone through hard things or have overcome some personal challenge or, I mean, books of people who have gone through deaths of pets or traumas. There's all these things, but the resilience of that is so strong and powerful. And I think those are the ones that we often don't want to give kids. I think a lot of grownups don't want to have them go through difficult things, but I often think they can handle it. And these are the stories that will make huge impacts on them and want them to read more. So then let's shift a little bit from the kids' books and talk a little bit about your own reading lives. You can't talk to other kids about wanting to read more without having a deep passion for reading yourself. Uh, Brandy, I wanted to tell you what was so exciting about going into your bookstore is that it's so in inviting there. And I, it just makes me want to read more. And I love your little children's nook. And if I was a kid, oh, like I, I would be there all the time. So I think just... You know, we're obviously, we all share this common passion for it, but it's just, I think we know how great it is to immerse yourself in a story and escape into a different world. And it broadens her, our horizons. It, it, uh, 
it makes us more understanding of the plight of other people. Mm-hmm. And then we start becoming a little less judgmental. We start understanding why people do the things they do. There's, there's a backstory there. And um, it starts building empathy. And our, our world becomes bigger rather than smaller. And our view becomes much greater than this tunnel vision that we get caught in sometimes. Yes, everything you just said. That is a total commercial for reading. Anybody who's listening right now, you probably totally agree with Susie. Every, like, come on, that was the perfect statement <laughs> for why reading is the bomb. <laughs> it does. It makes us better humans. It does. It's good for us personally, for self-care and for all those healthy things, but also the way you interpret stories and other people's perspectives makes you better when you go into the world. Yeah, so and true. kids have that power too. It's not just for grownups. No. We start that young and we just keep working it. You know, mm-hmm. as you get older, you just refine it. You discover more things, but oh yeah, that is, that is a great statement, Susie. I love that. So are you guys ready to do a rapid fire 30? Oh yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>? Okay. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Who was an author you'd most like to have coffee with? Michelle Obama. Joseph Boyden. Which fictional world or time period would you like to spend a weekend in? Little House on the Prairie. (laughs) I would go back to the Roaring Twenties. Name a book that changed how you see the world. The Kite Runner. Oh, yeah, good one. Uh, for me, Richard Wagamese's Indian Horse, that, that opened my eyes. What is a book that broke your heart? All the Light We Cannot See. And for me, Alistair MacLeod's No Great Mischief. If the story of your life were made into a film, who would play you? For sure, Jessica Beale. <laughs> and for me, <laughs> for me, Meg Ryan, please play my life. It's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> what is a book that did not live up to its hype? I couldn't find. I I don't think I know one. I don't have one. You know what? Uh, for me, it was Go Set a Watchman. It was Harper Lee's book, the one that she wrote. Apparently before To Kill a Mockingbird, I just love To Kill a Mockingbird. So Ghost at a Watchman, it just, it, it didn't do it. Mm-hmm. it. Yeah, you're not alone there. <laughs> what is a book that wasn't hyped enough? I said Pull of the Stars, even though I have heard a lot of people talk about it. I didn't see a lot about it. And it was a really wonderful book. Yeah, True, I'm going to yeah. pass on that one. I don't know. I I don't actually follow What's out there so much so I don't know what's hyped or not. So I don't know. Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. What is a book that should never be made into a film? A Fine Balance. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, my favorite, one of my favorite childhood books, A Watership Watership Down. Like, they Mm -hmm. made it into a movie and they shouldn't have. What is a screen adaptation that's actually better than the book? I know there are a couple in my whole life that I have acknowledged, and I just can't think of which ones they are. Not many. Yeah. No. You know what? Um, for me, same thing. Not many. But I must admit, I was impressed with the film Life of Pi. 
I loved that book and I was worried when they were going to make it into a movie, but they did a really good job. Yeah, that was a good one. What was the last book you stopped reading? I have a hard time because I know I should and I tell my students all the time, if you don't love a book, put it down. It won't be offended. But it's a very sort of hard, it's a hard thing for me to stop reading. So I do tend to force myself to finish books. You know, for me, it was girl, woman, other. And that's not because I wasn't liking it, but Tara started becoming a slave driver and I started having to read children's <laughs> books. <laughs> I am coming back to that one. The last book you bought. I have it sitting here because I brought it out so I wouldn't forget. Everything I Never Told You. The Canada Reads Johnny Appleseed. Okay. The last book someone gave you. Anna gave me Shadow of the Wind, but it didn't wasn't a give, it was a lend. Does that count? Yep, sure. <laughs> Shadow of the Wind. And, you know, for me, um, what comes to mind is Medicine Walk. That's Richard Wagamese's book at a mm-hmm. really, really important time in my life. So, Okay. Last book you reread. Oh, that's a good question. Well, it's actually Anne of Green Gables because you suggested it at Christmas time on your Instagram post. And so I ran downstairs to my bookshelf and got my original copy of Anne of Green Gables and started to reread it on Christmas Eve. And for me, it was um, Harry Potter, the Philosopher's Stone. I I reread that and got rehooked on the whole series and read all seven books uh, very, very quickly and loved every minute of it. What is the book you're reading right now? Um, the Everything I Never Told You. It's by uh, Celeste Ning. Uh, and for me, actually, it's going to be another chills lit- literature book uh, called No Fixed Address. Canadian writer. So I'm looking forward to that. Who is the best literary villain? I don't read a lot of books with villains. Like I'm more of a realistic. Well, I mean, I suppose there are villains in life, aren't there? But I, I don't read fantasy and that type mm-hmm. of uh, genre so much. So I'll pass. Okay. Uh, I think just because it's so fresh for me, Voldemort. Yeah, that's it's what I was thinking. Harry Potter. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you get much more evil than that? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's pretty brutal. Yeah. Name the first three books that come to mind. Oh, it's going to be all kids books, Brandy. Sure. Charlotte's Web, The Thief of Always by Clive Barker. Because I was working on mm-hmm. that one with my tutoring student. The one I'm reading. Everything I Never Told You. Um, for me, Joseph Boyden's Three Day Road, um, The Sisters Brothers, which was an awesome book. Let's throw in Margaret Lawrence's A Bird in the House. Okay. Ebook or tree book? Tree book and ebook. No, never. No, sorry, tree book. I read both. <laughs> If I have to, I'll take ebooks because on holidays it's much lighter in the suitcase, and my husband gets mad when I overpack because I usually take six books. <laughs> so tree book, tree book, tree book. Uh, not, not even a, a a moment to think. Tree book for sure. <laughs> Borrow or buy? Both. Hmm? Borrow, buy, lend. I like to buy. I I, I have a sickness. <laughs> I way way too many books. <laughs> What is the weirdest thing you've used as a bookmark? A gum wrapper. 
You know, I, I don't know about that, but you know, just yesterday, uh, and I know this is supposed to be fast, so it'll be fast. We have these beautiful canvases, these painting canvases, and my husband um, was trying to save them and make smaller abstract pieces, and they cut some up into small strips, and that's going to be a beautifully weird bookmark. Perfect. <laughs> Where is your favorite place to read? Outside on the deck. Oh, I just created this beautiful library upstairs in Anna's old bedroom. And I've got this great chair. It's where I am right now. And I love to sit here with a mug of coffee and read. Perfect. What is a book you loaned out and never got back? There are too many. I've, <laughs> I've started writing a list because if I know I want it back, I have to write it down or I'll forget. I And I am happy. They're all out there somewhere and hopefully they have a nice home someone's reading them yeah I'd say a ton as well students have borrowed so many books mm -hmm. in particular over the years but mm -hmm. I'm happy if they're reading and they don't find their way back maybe they'll yeah. pay it forward somehow mm -hmm. good answer what is a book you borrowed and never returned <laughs> I guess all the books I ever borrowed from my mom every single one <laughs> it, I never returned them to her but I don't think she wanted them back Oh, geez. I know I have borrowed a couple that haven't been returned. And that's just, um, again, <laughs> the way it happens. Can't think of one in particular, though. Maybe they're just happy that the books are out there somewhere and that you're yeah. reading them. <laughs> exactly. Book love. Book love. <laughs> and how do you organize your bookshelves? I have um, six, five or six different bookshelf areas in my house. So they're organized by age because they're each of my children have books within their own rooms. Um, they're now almost all adults. And then I have my main bookshelf, which is organized by genre and age and how they look. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I took the luxury when I created this library room of organizing them um, alphabetically all by Canadian title. So one full bookcase is all Canadian and then alphabetically the rest of the international writers. Nice. Excellent. What is the thickest book on your shelf? Pillars of the Earth. You know what, for me, I think it's um, Asimov's Guide to Shakespeare. It's kind of oh, a okay. Bible and I used it a ton when I was teaching. Great book for anyone that wants to know about more about Shakespeare's plays. Asimov's hmm. Guide to Shakespeare. What is your favorite word? I have four. Okay, here we go. Perfect. And you know what I love? I love thither. <laughs> thither I will go. I mean, it's like a, it's a dying word, but doesn't it just sound so good in the mouth to say thither? Thither. thither. I don't think that word has ever been used on this podcast before. I'm kind of loving it. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Um, what do you drink while reading? Tea and wine. Not at the same time. <laughs> tea, and, <laughs> tea up until five o'clock, wine after that. Yeah, I was going to say, is it a.m. or p.m.? Because it's yeah. a.m., a big, hot mug of strong coffee. And if it's p.m., Maybe a wee glass of vin rouge. <laughs> <laughs> and how many books did you read last year? 
I'm going to start counting. So next year, you, when you ask me this, I'll know the answer. <laughs> Uh, you know, um, for me, I started thinking about that. And, and a lot of them have been sort of the young adult children's literature. But probably, uh, I think at least, uh, I was trying to count them up, about 18 or 19, 20 for bluefish learning in, in the last couple of months. Yeah. Just. And then on my own, uh, I think another 15 or so. And you guys just finished your rapid fire 30. Woo! <laughs> That was hard. A hot seat. Like, yeah. Ah, ah. <laughs> Not so bad, right? <laughs> A little flushed. <laughs> I love your perspective on reading and getting kids to develop more passion for it and hoping that parents will engage more so that that habit can continue. That is like a dream come true for us. And it seems Great. it's 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 our it's just our dream for that to happen for the for the books to be into the hands of of kids everywhere so thank you guys for teaching like you know I think the teachers are heroes really and all that you've done I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cry on my podcast we love we love it so much it's just it's wonderful it's wonderful we feel very inspired by it and we do it because we love it and and that's all there is to it it's just something that inspires us every day and uh, it does create better human beings. And so that is an impact we are willing to get behind. Well, um, I can get behind you getting behind it any day of the week, y'all. I think what you're doing is brilliant. Oh so my gosh. thank you both so much. It Having you on here has been a delight. And I'm so glad that we can inspire more people to read more and want kids to read more and to support that with actual good book suggestions that they can trust. Yes. Wonderful. Thank Love you it. for having us, Brandy. You're welcome. You're so welcome. It was fun and a treat. Thank you so much. That was fun. Okay, as promised, here is the fun project that we had been working on at Daisy Chain Book Company to encourage young readers and for us too to get really excited about what they're reading. All right, so we have called this the World Changers Literary Society, because I do believe that young readers will change the world with all the things they're taking in, the perspectives, the ideas, the potential for creative thought. I mean, it's kind of off the charts. I love it so much. So they are going to be world changers. And the idea of pulling them together in a literary society means they feel like they belong somewhere. They feel as if they are part of something like a club, like a group, like something that cares about what they're reading and is expecting them to read. These little bundles we have put together in our store have a reading tracker, like a book journal. It has a tote bag that says, young readers will change the world. And it has a sticker that says the same thing that was custom made by a local entrepreneur here in Edmonton. So these things are fun and they're a great little bundle, but what is really fun about it is because they have this bundle, we put their name in a logbook in the store and for every book that they read and then they come in and tell us about, we will purchase a book on their behalf for kids in Edmonton who are in the foster system who also want to read but might not have access to all the books because their lives are in flux and there's so much going on. And I may have mentioned this in a previous episode, but I'm not 100% sure. We were foster parents for a number of years, and the kids that have come through our home stayed in our hearts. 
And it didn't matter what ages the kids were who came into our homes. When you sat down with a book with them, it was a special time. It was a bonding time. It was a time of sharing. It was a time of learning together, laughing together, growing, creating memories. Books are not just words on a page, but to kids, they are portals to another world. They are escape hatches of ideas. They are all sorts of things that create opportunities for them to move beyond their station. And I cannot stress enough the value of spending time with kids whose lives might be a little bit chaotic, uncertain for sure. They've had pain, they've had heartache, they've got difficult situations in their past and possibly in their future as well. And all they want in that moment is to sit with you and share a story with you. If they love that and they feel that that is valuable, they will take that love with them everywhere they go. One of my favorite quotes from You've Got Mail is when Kathleen Kelly says, when you read a book as a child, it becomes part of your identity in a way that no other reading in your whole life does. I totally believe that. And I think if we can help kids who are in difficult places have a feeling that books matter and that no matter what goes on in their lives, they can transport themselves to a better spot, a happier place, a greater idea of thinking, or even identify with their situation. I want that for them so badly. So we are going to provide one book for every book that is read by kids in our World Changers Literary Society to kids in the foster system. Kids Helping Kids. What is better than that? Someone at a news station heard about the World Changers Literary Society through an email that I had sent out and sent a cameraman to the store to talk to me about it. Well, as you may guess, if you know me, is I got a little emotional talking about kids and their love of reading and my heart for it. And I must have said something that resonated because a young boy of about maybe eight or nine years old, came into the store the next day and he was so excited to be there. His mom said that he was, uh, he was so pumped. He wanted to come the night before, but we were closed. And all he wanted to do was come in and get this bundle because he was very excited that books that he reads would provide books for kids in the foster system. He had messaged me online the night before asking if he reads a book would foster kids get a book? And I did clarify that yes, that was exactly how it works. And didn't know that he was a child when he asked me the question. But when he came in the next day, he was so filled with excitement and purpose. If you had seen his face, oh my word. I, When he left, Jenna and I in the store, we just clasped our hands to our chest and said how adorable and precious that was. We were so filled with emotion in response to his excitement we were overwhelmed. So even though I thought that I muddled up the camera crew experience because I was being too emotional and I wasn't being very clear in what I was saying, apparently I said enough to get through to this child who was so excited he couldn't contain himself. Young readers will change the world. And I am so excited to watch and see how our world changers literary society grows. Adults can make a significant impact in the life of a young reader. And I think that we need to step up and we need to engage kids at a whole new level. 
Give them new things to read. Give them things outside of their genre. Talk about what they're reading. You know what? Model reading in your own life for them so they can see what it looks like. And that, yeah, reading is cool because you're cool and you're reading. And I think that we don't consider enough that things are often caught and not taught. So model reading for kids. Talk to them about what you're reading. Tell them why you love to read. Expect that you're going to have reading time together. Maybe you won't watch a sitcom together. Maybe you won't disappear into each other's rooms where one of you plays a video game and one of you reads. I'm not saying who's doing which, but I think if we can do that in front of them, they will do it more. And I think if we show them how reading is valuable to us, they will want that for themselves. So let's just try it. Let's experiment with ways to get kids excited about reading Let's do fun things like what my friend Colleen is doing with her niece. They're doing buddy reads together where they read a book and then they go online and they talk to each other about what they're reading. That is super. Why don't we do a shared read where each of you says, okay, you give me a book to read and I'll read it and I will give you a book to read and you read it and then we'll talk about them. Find fun ways to do it. Do the whole idea of, okay, let's read the book and then watch the movie together. Or let's do a read along with your friend and their friend's parent. Something like that so that it is much more engaging. There's some accountability and you are getting some fun out of it. This is a fun experience, you guys. We know that we love books. If you're listening to this podcast, you love books, right? I mean, this I know about you. So however you are going to inspire a young reader, be relevant, be generous, and be unforgettable. Until next time, friends. Bye.